1: It was when you came on your official visit They played like the old school movie With the four horsemen And uh, the old school Notre Dame And you got the
0: And there's a now that's a follow-up question, Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question
2: right there. If you can be physical and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll that always be the same.
0: Well, I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad Scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into
1: you in South Bend because you're probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen.
2: Welcome everybody to another edition of Pot of Gold at ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. USC tried to make it interesting in the fourth quarter on Saturday, but the Irish asserted control in a 31-16 victory over the Trojans. Notre Dame will try to keep things rolling this Saturday against another talented yet incredibly inconsistent team with North Carolina coming to town. We've sort of reached the point of the season where players have put enough plays on tape to get a sense for who may be trending up or down in next spring's NFL draft. So we wanted to take some time to pick the brain of Dane Brugler, the Athletics NFL Draft Analyst on this week's podcast. Dane, thanks for joining us. Of course. I really appreciate having me on. Dane, I thought we could start with with Kyle Hamilton, certainly the, the prospect on Notre Dame's team that has the highest ceiling. Unfortunately, he injured his knee against USC Brian Kelly Seems confident the issue shouldn't be a long-term one, but we're not exactly sure when he'll return to the lineup. He's out this week against North Carolina. How good of a season do you feel like Kyle Hamilton was having? And if he didn't play another game this season, would he still be a sure bet to be a top 10 pick?
1: Yeah, there's no question. Uh, Kyle Hamilton is one of the best players in the country um, and one of the best prospects in the country. Uh, He does not need to put any more tape on film. Uh, or any more play on film for uh scouts to be, uh, you know, okay, well, to be a top five pick, to be a top 10 pick, he's already there. Uh, and it, it if you know, hopefully, it's not the case, I because I'd like to see him uh play some more. Uh, hopefully, it's not the case, but if he were to be sidelined the rest of the year because of this knee injury, it, it's not something that I think, as long as there's no long term effects from the injury, it's not something that's going to hurt him at all. He's just. He's just a special player. Uh, And it's not just physically or mentally, it's both. Uh, Physically, uh, to have a player that size, height, weight, speed, um, uh, to uh, the range, that's what stands out the most when you watch him on film is, you know, he has certain responsibilities uh, on, you know, the left hash, but then he's making plays on the right sideline. Uh, he's playing from depth, so he's lined up high, uh, working downhill. Uh, that that fourth and one play on the Purdue uh, film is something that will stick, stick with me uh, for a while, just the way he was able to understand what the offense was doing and not only see it, but then attack it. And so uh, the mental part of his game is almost as impressive, if not more so, than the physical. Uh, he's very, very instinctive. And I think that's what really separates him from some of these other, uh, you know, Uber talented uh, prospects we've had in the past. Who uh, you know, we're just blessed with the you know these athletic genes at a big size. But I think what Kyle Hamilton has is this uh, this awareness, the instincts that that really sets him apart. He could be impactful in so many different ways. Uh, and I really like how they're using him in this, this this the first year in this scheme under the new defensive coordinator. Uh, I mean, they are really being creative with how they line them up. Um, so, you know, they can line him up from depth. Um, he's really good with his angles as a tackler um and he's just so explosive that you can do a lot of things with him so even if he does have a false step he can recover make a play Uh, a ferocious hitter uh it's he he will really impact the way that offenses attack Notre Dame so uh if I'm Sam Howell I'm I'm feeling pretty good this week that I don't have to face number 14. (laughs)
0: um, I wanted to follow up on Kyle a little bit before we moved on to Sam Howell and some of the other Notre Dame players but he's had some injury issues, nothing structural ever. And he's gotten bigger and stronger each year. I mean, one, is that a concern? And two, I guess, if you were advising him, which you don't do, uh, would you say, you know what, Kyle just sit out the rest of the year and you're going to be in top five pick or whatever. Would you advise that?
1: Yeah. It's always tough with something like that because uh, obviously there's money on the line and, you know, I, I'm not in the in the business of telling someone how to, uh, you know, handle their money, because theoretically, I know Kyle is he's managing his money right now with the way that he's playing. And so um, it, it's really hard to say whether he should or he shouldn't. I mean, you want to see him out there. I From all from what scouts tell me, from you know what I've heard about him as a player he's very competitive. And so it's not, I don't think he's going to want to do that. I think he's going to want to be out there if he's able. Um, you know, I think the injury, the durability questions, because of the way he plays, he, he's so energetic. He loves to hit. Um, and, you know, I, I think that your point about him getting bigger and stronger every year is important because that will help uh, maybe withstand some of the, some of the hits and some of the, the injury concerns, but it's something that has been part of uh, you know part of of his history at Notre Dame is a few of these minor injuries that could go with him to the next level so um, hopefully you know as we find out more about uh, this this knee injury it's something that doesn't pop up at the combine as something that okay hey this is maybe something more serious um because i just i just know i want to see him out there on the field whether I'm you know scouting him at Notre Dame or I'm seeing him next year as a rookie I just want to see him out there
0: we want to see him on his podcast, too. It's pretty <laughs> good.
1: Yeah, no question. He, he, a very diverse uh, individual. with, with you know, He's he, he's not just an athletic freak. I mean, he's very thoughtful, uh, it seems like, uh, just you know, hearing him speak. I mean, you guys know more than I do seeing him uh, over the last three years and his maturity for a player of that age. Uh, he, he's just a really impressive prospect.
0: He's been in Mensa since, like, he was a high school kid. Hmm. So ah. Tyler's not, but I'll let him ask the next question, anyways.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's much more interesting and smart and fascinating than I am. But uh, <laughs> one of the one of the players that you were high on going into this season was Isaiah Foskey, and you, I think, maybe you were higher on him than I had seen any draft analysts. I think you may have been ahead of the curve with Isaiah Foskey. How has this season stacked up to what you were hearing about him beforehand? And how is the way that Marcus Freeman? has maybe used him as both a pass rusher and some of the linebacker depth that he's played at increase his NFL value?
1: Yeah, you know, watching the Notre Dame uh, defense last year, it's just this number seven kept popping. Uh, and, you know, so I made, I don't scout the non-draft eligible guys. There's too many draft eligible guys to watch. Right. So I don't have time for the guys that aren't going to be as the, the upcoming draft. But I did make several notes. Uh, and then this past summer, when I really dove into this group, um, I, I look more at him and the flashes are really impressive and okay. You know, he wasn't a full-time starter last year. Uh, so, you know, you're projecting, uh, yeah. And over the summer, I felt strongly enough that I put him on my top 50, uh, in August. And I'm glad I did because I think he's lived up to that. Uh, I think he has what eight sacks now, uh, he's been really, really productive. Um, and it's, it's really interesting to see how they use him, I, all the versatile alignments, linebacker off the ball, hand on the ground, defensive end, uh, you know, they'll line up up on the edge, but then drop them in the space. Uh, just very, very creative. And I think it speaks to Fosky's athleticism that even though he is this uh, almost prototypical defensive end, 6'5", 260, but he can drop in space and he can uh, help you in these different ways, which really helps that, that Notre Dame defense keep you, it's going to keep offenses guessing. So, uh, but I think at the next level for Foskey, it's all going to be about the pass rush. Uh, That's really going to be his bread and butter. Uh, And I I think he's, uh, you know, still learning how to use all of his gifts uh, to, uh, you know, sequence his pass rush and have a, have a plan and to set up blockers, uh, but you see a long arm, uh, you know, you see him uh, convert his speed to power. He can soften the edge with that forward bend that he has uh, love his handwork. I mean, he is always trying to introduce new things. Um, and so it's just, it's a lot of fun to see how they use him. They see a lot of stunts, a lot of loops. Um, Foskey's a rangy guy. He'll chase down plays. Um, and I just, I really appreciate how he uses his hands. Uh, you know, he likes to take on blocks and, and dispose of them. And so he's not just a speed guy. He's not just a power guy. He's got a little bit of everything. And uh, the more football he plays, uh, it seems like the better he gets. And so uh, Fosky's definitely been a fun player to watch.
0: Just following up on him real quick, round, you know, round range this year versus maybe round range next year.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it's hard to say, uh, you know, because uh, – if he came out this year, you know, first of all, I think he plays the right position uh, as a pass rusher um, and a guy that's shown a lot of versatility. So I think he's, you know, scheme proof. You know, it's not going to be a, a scheme out there at the NFL. We're saying, well, I don't know that he fits. I mean, he he can do so much that uh, you know you're you're going to want him on your team. And so I, I think right now he's a day two player. Maybe, you know, if he goes, uh, if you say he would return for his senior year and then, uh, you know, come out after into the 2023 uh, draft, could he be a first rounder? Sure. I I mean, that's always possible. Um, So I just think it's up to, uh, you know, Foskey to see. You know, where does he feel like he is in his development? Does he feel like he's ready for NFL work, uh, to go up against NFL blockers and, uh, you know, to, to take that next step? If he feels he is, then, you know, uh, you know, we could see him be part of this draft class. If he feels like, you know, he's just scratching the surface, and he'd like to uh, develop more before, uh, you know, it becomes more of a, a business, then, uh, you know, I could see him coming back. He's he's one of these uh, Notre Dame underclassmen that will have a, a really interesting decision to make. And I think it's interesting with uh, NIL, how, how that yeah. could potentially uh, affect. Because, uh, you know, guys that – you know, they at the end of the day, it's like okay, well, I'm going to go earn my money. But with NIL, uh, there might be uh, you know money opportunities by staying in school and uh, less pressure to go chase that paycheck uh, at the NFL level.
0: It almost seems like some of these college kids have better deals than the pro guys
1: do. <laughs> so yeah, there, well, there are some irresponsible deals out there too. Uh, you know, as as we're finding out. But you know, it's uh, it's just new for everybody, right? You know, it's new for the coaches, new for the players. New for uh, you know these potential investors uh, who want to market with these players and create these relationships, and so um, you know it just it adds a different wrinkle to college football, and I, I think it'll continue to evolve as we kind of figure it out. The, a
0: few guys on the offensive line, particularly two, I want to ask you about Jarrett Patterson. I think you were high on going into the season. Wondered if you still feel the same way about him. And then Caden Madden, I didn't see you mention him, really hadn't seen much anybody mention him before he got to Notre Dame, other than the fact he was an All-American, but you didn't see a lot of pro buzz about him. And I'm wondering, what do you make of Kane Madden and, and Jarrett Patterson as pro prospects?
1: I, I think Madden is a solid college player. I, I didn't you know, necessarily look at the traits and say, okay, well, he's going to be, you know, an NFL starter. Um, I I think he's a solid college player who, uh, you know, is very assignment sound. Um, You know, I think he's, uh, you know, making that transition from Marshall to Notre Dame. He's done a nice job, Um, but I don't necessarily see a a high level prospect or even a guy that's a lock to be drafted. Um, But I, I think that he's, you know, definitely on the radar and, uh, you know, and it's tough when you go to a program that, that loses so much on the offensive line, and you're, you know, this this transfer is supposed to help, you know, fix things or, you know, fill these shoes of these, uh, you know, guys that went on to, to the pro level. And uh, it's, it's, it's asking a lot of them. And we've seen with the Notre Dame offensive line issues, uh, this season, how, uh, that could be that, that could be a tough ask. Uh, but Jared Patterson, I think he's, One of the better center prospects this year, I think Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa. He's the top guy. He's going to be a first-round pick. And then the question is, okay, who's that next center off the board, and where? Um, You know, can can Patterson be a day two guy, or is he more of a a mid rounder? I think that uh, he's, you know, if I if the draft were tomorrow, I would I would project Patterson as probably a a borderline top one hundred pick. You know, maybe he sneaks into that. Uh, second, third round for a team that's really looking for uh, a, a, an upgrade at center, or maybe he would fall to the early day three range. Uh, there's a lot to like about him. Uh, he's a captain, strong, stubborn hands from contact to finish. Um, he can anchor versus power. Uh, he just, he stays wide with his blocks, uh, with his base blocks and he's able to reposition his feet uh, stays very controlled at the second level and on screens um, so, you know, I, I think he's, I wouldn't say he's explosive and he's strong at the point of attack, but doesn't blow defenders off the ball. Um, I, he's probably not going to be for everybody. Uh, he's, he's probably more suited for a, a power scheme more so than, you know, a, a team that runs a lot of zone, but uh, for the right fit, you know, I, I could see Patterson being somewhere in that uh, you know borderline top 100 mix. Dan,
2: you, you talked earlier about there's a group of Notre Dame guys that will have interesting decisions to make following their junior seasons this year. I think Kyron Williams is certainly in that conversation. Um, he certainly hasn't had a banner year statistically with an offensive line that has struggled. What are what are the things in his game that still show up even in those struggles that the NFL teams will be attracted to?
1: Well, you look at today's uh, NFL game you, you throw on any game it doesn't matter on, on Sundays and you see the running backs and all the different things they're asked to do uh and especially in the passing game block uh pass protect uh but then also be a receiver be a reliable pass catcher I and mean, that's a big part uh, of NFL offenses today and I think Kyron Williams that fits perfectly with uh, with, with uh, what a lot of NFL offenses are looking to do. You have to be able to trust your running back out there, and uh, a lot of a lot of running backs are are good with the ball in their hands, but maybe as a blocker, that's where they have some issues. Uh, running some simple simple routes, it, it's not as simple for them, and I think that's where Kyron Williams can come in and make a difference. He's dependable on passing downs, uh, very quick hands as a receiver. He can snatch and put it away, catch the ball in stride uh stays uh really and you know he's had his misses he's had some misses in pass pro but i think what uh really impresses me with him is just the blitz pickup he knows where the rush is coming from he's very smart pre-snap um and then as a runner uh he's so competitive i mean that that touchdown it was like a a 10-yard touchdown against virginia tech uh where that stands out as you know, just, okay, put the, put the offense on my back right now. My team needs to score. I'm going to find a way to make it happen. Uh, he's not a guy that's got that, you know, push the pile power as a runner, but he runs so low to the ground and he's got that balance and he can step out of tackle attempts and uh, he's very patient. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of things you can do with Kyron Williams. Uh, and this is a running back class that there's no clear cut running back one. You know, it's, uh, it's not one of those groups I I, I don't think we're going to have a first round running back this year. Um, you know, Isaiah Spiller from A&M is in that mix. I think right now he's my top running back. Reese Hall is in the mix. Um, you know, with uh, Kenneth Walker, with Michigan State, what he's done this year, he's put himself in that conversation. But Kyra Williams is right there. And uh, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are really appreciate what he does, and uh, say, okay, if we can get him on our team, yeah, we'd love to do that. And it it almost reminds me of a couple of years ago when uh, it was a two years ago when you know a lot of people thought Jonathan Taylor or DeAndre Swift or J.K. Dobbins uh, was the top back in that class. Who was the first running back drafted? Edwards Alaire because of what he could do uh, in the passing game, and it, it kind of reminds me of a similar thing with. With Kyron Williams, I don't know that he's ever really mentioned as being the top back in his class. Uh, and he might not be the, you know drafted as high as some other backs. But because of what he offers, I think that's what separates him.
0: A couple other guys that kind of fit in there. There's a bunch of them. But a couple that I'll ask about is Kevin Austin, who had six career catches coming into this year. I had a football crush on him because we saw him in practice uh, so many times and then just not in games. The other guy is, um, Jason Adam Alola who would have a COVID, uh, exemption if he wanted to come back, just your thoughts on those two going versus staying.
1: Yeah. I, and I have not done enough work on, on Austin, uh, to, to give you a great answer. Uh, but can I, can I throw a player out there that has really sure. jumped out to me? Yeah. Uh, Taglo, uh, Taglovoa Mosa, uh, number 95, yeah. um, Uh, he's really impressed me this year. And uh, how much, how much weight did he lose from last year to this year?
0: I think it was 30 pounds. I think he went from 295 to 265.
1: Uh, It shows. I mean, with the way he is used uh, mostly on the edges uh, in this, in this scheme. uh, I mean, he's, he looks quicker. Um, You know, he's very diverse with his rush attack. He's got rip moves, chop moves, um i he really stood out as a guy that's playing with a lot more energy this year so he's got an explosive upper body he can create movement with his with his hands um i you know he's he's really really interesting and a guy that i think has helped himself he's he, he's he's a really under the radar type of player who is not probably not going to be a top 100 pick but you know somewhere in the mid to late rounds he's going to be drafted and i bet he's going to be part of a a defensive line rotation Uh, Pretty quickly uh, in his NFL career, Uh, just because he's he he plays with so much energy. You can do some different things with him. Uh, He's a veteran player. I can't remember which tape it was that I was watching, but uh, they had the the offense had a perfect play schemed up with the screen. And uh he just took it away. Uh he, he saw it coming a mile away, kind of baited it and then took it away. And I just he's a veteran player who's who's got some tools. Uh, and so I'm uh, he's a player that I think has really stood out to me as uh a guy that's helped himself and put himself in draftable territory.
0: Great bloodlines <laughs> too, to his cousin.
1: Right, right. Yeah, that that it never hurts.
0: <laughs> that's for sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, he, he was interesting because they didn't they didn't necessarily need him at defensive end because they had defensive end talent. And then he, I think his story was like, I I added too much right before I came to Notre Dame. And so they put me at defensive tackle. So I just kind of stuck there. And I think he wanted to play in and got the opportunity to do that. And I think he's really taken advantage of it.
1: Um, yeah, they, even this past, just watching the USC tape from this past uh, this past weekend, it, there, was a, there was a play where, uh, is an obvious face mask. Was one of the first plays of the game, uh, the left guard at obvious face mask grabbed him, uh, and it still wasn't enough to slow him down. So he he's a guy that creates disruption, and that's that's what you want from a defensive lineman.
2: Let's switch a little bit to North Carolina, Notre Dame's opponent this week. What are your thoughts on how Sa- Sam Howell's draft stock has been impacted by the season, and what what can make him a problem for Notre Dame to defend on Saturday? <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, this quarterback class, it is it's it's muddy, you know. It's it's it, there's it's not let's the opposite of last year. Last year, we knew Trevor Lawrence was going to be the number 1 pick. Um, you know, Zach Wilson, Emory, at this time last year, we 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 started to figure out, okay, this is Zach Wilson's for real. He's going to go high. Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, you know, with what he did This year, we just don't have those guys. Uh, You know, who's going to be the first quarterback off the board? In the preseason, we thought, you know, it could be Sam Howell. It could be a Baker Mayfield situation where, yeah, he might not be physically uh, the most impressive guy out there, but, uh, you know, he's accurate, he's competitive, uh, and and he finds ways to win. Uh, But, you know, with uh, some turnover on that offense, specifically those two running backs, uh, Javante Williams and, and Carter being gone, uh, you know, it's it's been a little tough sledding for uh, for Howell in, in that offense. He loses, you know his top targets through the air, um, and you know Your I, line I still think things too. Yeah, Your offensive
0: it, line stinks.
1: It's it's been a struggle. It has been because uh, they they run that a uh, shotgun spread offense. They want everything spread out, where it's just going to give them some some holes to run through. And the offensive line has not helped. There's no question. It's been a kind of uh, it's strange to see how uh, important Howell has been in the rushing department. Yeah. If you take – not include the sacks, he's got four 100-yard rushing games this year, uh, which is, you know, through, what, seven or eight games, not what you would really expect uh, from a guy like Howell, who's a good athlete. But, you know, you want him, uh, you know, in the pocket and moving the pop. Uh, pocket throwing from different platforms uh, i think he's got good arm talent he's got a, good, a very good deep ball thrower and that's what they do they will throw it's a very horizontal based offense schematically they'll use different variations of slants screens comebacks things like that spread out uh that 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 defense horizontally and then try to hit you deep over the top and i think uh, Howell's a pretty good uh deep ball thrower so you know where where does that leave him in this quarterback class? It's a good question. You know, beauty's uh, it's the eye of the beholder, right? And it's it's so it's so true when it comes to quarterbacks. Um, and with this quarterback class, especially uh, Malik Willis at Liberty, uh, you know Matt Corral, Ole Miss. I think those two guys, in whichever order, uh, could be the first two quarterbacks off the board. And then, who's the third quarterback? Uh, you know, is it Desmond Ritter, who Notre Dame saw a couple weeks ago out of Cincinnati? Uh, could it be Sam Howell? Uh, is it uh, Kenny Pickett uh, from Pitt, who's had a really nice season? So, uh, there's a lot of money to be made by these quarterbacks, and you know, this will be an interesting evaluation because from a scouting perspective you always would you, you want to see quarterbacks go up against the same defense. And so we saw Desmond Ritter go up against this Notre Dame uh, defense and he, he was, it was an up and down. I mean, I, I give Ritter credit for uh, a couple of those throws down the stretch in the second half, but his first half wasn't good. He was under 50% completions. Uh, his accuracy was uh, kind of all over the place, uh, but at the end of the day, they got the win. Uh, Sam Howell, how will he play in this game against the same defense? Now, you know, important that to point out that uh, Kyle Hampton won't be out there, but right. still you you want to see him go up against uh, a similar defense to see how he uh, reacts to what they're doing and handles some of the different things that Marcus Freeman likes to do. So um, this, this will be a big opportunity for Howell and that North Carolina offense.
0: Dane, last year we saw a ton of opt-outs in the bowl games and – you wonder how much of it was COVID. How much of this is this is what football is, and we're never going to see a pro prospect in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl game again. What what do you what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, you know, and I think it just comes down to each individual. And um, you know, I think it's understandable why some would want to um, skip it and just start, you know, getting ready to prepare for the NFL if they decided to move on. Um, you know, a lot of guys. They, uh, you know, they're just ready. Uh, and, and you know it's a bowl game is not the grand achievement that it once was. And it's just an, it's just another game. And, uh, you know, some of these bowl games, uh, it, you know, there's, there, there's, it's a little more prestigious. And so you want to play in those games. You want to play that that final game with your teammates, um and you know a lot of other guys they they see the injury risk and say it's just it's just not worth it for me so um you know it's it's something that uh you wonder how nil is going to impact it uh because you could potentially be leaving money on the board um if uh you know there's going to be some bowl games that uh you know they there's always the uh rewards that they get you know gift cards and these different prizes and stuff but Uh, it could be cash now you know and so uh you know if these guys get get paid uh to uh, represent their team in the bowl games uh, maybe that uh changes the decision for some of these guys so it's it it, like i said before it's going to be ever evolving Uh, it wasn't too long ago that you know we were uh there were a lot of critics of christian mccaffrey and leonard fournette when they decided to sit out and here we are not you know, you know, five years down the road and it's becoming a lot more common and we're hearing the the blowback kind of uh, quiet go quiet uh, as more people kind of understand the decision these guys are making. Dana, I'm curious what you thought of
2: how Notre Dame tried to defend Drake London, uh, given how talented of a player he is. And then Notre Dame will also be playing another receiver that has a lot of catches. I know he's probably not a guy you spend a ton of time on because he's only a sophomore, Josh Downs at North Carolina. I know they're not very similar in terms of prospects, but I'm, I'm curious what you think of, like, be, being able to stop Josh Downs versus being able to stop uh, um, Drake, Drake London.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I've not done a ton on Downs, but, you know, just watching and studying how you know, he, he's obviously someone I've seen. And that's, a, that's one of those guys that uh, how trusts down the field. I mean, he will throw it up and say, just, you know, uh, go beat your guy and go get it. Um, and so that's uh, talking about the horizontal, 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 and then try to beat you over the top. That, that's where downs, I think, uh, you know, that that's where uh, you need to defend him with Drake London. It's just, uh, I, I, and they force feed him the ball and I, you understand why uh, right. I, I think over the last, two games, he has 39 targets, which is just crazy. Uh, but you understand why when you watch that offense and you see, okay, well, he is the offense he is their best player. And um, you see the basketball background, right? You know, a guy that played basketball at USC uh, he's a guy that likes to out rebound uh, everybody else is uh the a uh, uh, physicality when the ball's in the air, his ability to high point, he's got the instincts that you want. So, I mean, Drake London's a guy that's going to be in that, wide receiver one conversation, assuming he does come out and he's part of this draft class, he's going to be in that mix with, uh, you know, the both Ohio state receivers, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, uh, Trey Burks at, at Arkansas, a couple other guys. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a really interesting wide receiver class and Drake London's going to be part of it. He's not the, you know, that uh, the guy with the uh, amazing speed and he's going to separate on command, but with his physicality and his ability to win one-on-one, uh you can you could win with a guy like that so there will be plenty of nfl teams interested uh in drake london in the first round next april
0: dane is there any special content you have coming up that you like to promote and also how can people sign up for the athletic to see your content on a regular basis
1: well you know just check me out on twitter uh at dp brugler uh and you know i post all my articles there um i try to try to do i you know i'm at my heart i'm an nfl draft fan um and so i I try to write articles that people uh, that i would want to read and so you know i did a film room with kenny pickett uh two weeks ago uh i did i did it with uh mark whipple his offensive coordinator and that was fun. And uh you know this week i've got uh, an under i've got a film room today i've got some uh underrated prospects coming out later this week and then uh you know be updating my top 50 draft board here pretty soon in the next two weeks so uh just click on one of the articles on my twitter and it'll tell you how to how to sign up right from there so um you know it's it's something that i really appreciate people doing and, and enjoying the content well, Dan,
2: that's all we have for you. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us this week, and uh, best of luck um, keeping yourself busy and managing everything you got going on. I know it's a, it's a busy time of year for you, um, so so good luck, and, and make sure you get enough sleep, all right?
1: <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Tyler. Eric, it's, it's good uh, being on with you, and, and each time. I appreciate it. All right, now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains?
2: This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Let's make some prop bets for Notre Dame, North Carolina. First one I have for us, Eric, is over under 100 rushing yards for Kyron Williams.
0: I'm going to go over. I think um, Kyron has to get over 100 yards for Notre Dame to win this game. If Notre Dame is going to be committed to that up-tempo offense, it plays into North Carolina's hands for more possessions and more plays and the more chance their offense can get on track. Last year, Notre Dame sat on the ball, and North Carolina only ran 57 plays, and I think they were shut out in the second half. Um, And so there's going to have to be some of that. Notre Dame can do the new offense in the first half, but at some point they need to slow things down. And if Kyron can't get to hundred yards, they're not going to be able to run clock and control the ball. So over or yes. (laughs) Yeah, that would, that would be over. You had it right. The first time,
2: Uh, Williams, it's kind of crazy to think that he's only rushed for over 100 yards once this season and that he's coming off that game with 138 against USC um, North Carolina isn't the best against the run. They allow 100, almost 160 yards per game. Um, I, I think I think you're sort of right. I think Notre Dame needs him to do that, um, and so the opportunities will be there for him. Uh, until Chris Tyree plays and we see him healthy, I'm still going to be sort of questioning how, how much he's going to be able to give the offense. Um, and so I think they're going to continue to lean on Kyron Williams, um, and he will have a chance to – a pretty good chance at getting over the 100 yard mark, so I will also take the over. Next one, will Jack Tone throw
0: an interception? Well, I would say no. Um, North Carolina's pass efficiency defense isn't that good. They're halfway decent about turning people over. That's the one thing that they do okay on defense but I'd say he probably learned from that mistake. And uh, so I'll say no interceptions for Jack.
2: Yeah, I'm going to say yes. He has thrown uh, four interceptions, one in each game against um, four different opponents. Uh, And I I think because I think his usage will continue to be high, um, I think there's a chance that he will do that. I mean, some some of the games where he didn't throw interceptions, he wasn't in there the whole time. Um, And I think he will be – they're, they're growing the offense around him. And I think they are growing confidence in his ability to throw. And I think he is confidence in giving his players like Kevin Austin Jr. a chance to make a play. And sometimes that'll end up as an interception. And so North Carolina, who's averaging about an interception per game, I think will uh, will be able to snag one against Jack Cone on Saturday. Next up over under 290 passing yards
0: for North Carolina quarterback, Sam Howell. Well, North Carolina is a really good offense. Um, They've got some flaws as a team, but they are 15th in the country in total offense and they're very balanced. And because of that balance, I think he will not surpass 290 yards. I think he'll be less than that because I think his running is going to be the biggest problem that Marcus Freeman has to deal with. Um, In addition to everything else, having that element, if he were, if Keaton Slovis was the quarterback for North Carolina with the same North Carolina skilled personnel, I think it would be a much easier matchup. But the fact that Powell can put a hundred yards up on your defense in the rushing department, I think North Carolina is going to use that and thus the passing numbers are going to be a little bit lower. I am going to take the over.
2: Uh, Sam Howell is averaging 264 passing yards a game. He's passed for more than 290 yards four times, um, and I, I do. I I agree with you that he has the threat to run, but I think a lot of that comes off of the passing game, and so he can convert dropbacks into rushing yards. So I still think the opportunities for him to to pass the ball successfully against Notre Dame secondary without Kyle Hamilton will be pretty high. So I will take the over. Next up, will North Carolina convert more than 40% of its third downs?
0: They're really good at converting third downs. They're 10th in the country. And the thing that Notre Dame's defense does, other than turning you over, is stopping third down conversions. I think it's going to be more difficult to keep them from that third down number because of Kyle Hamilton not being in the mix. So I'm going to say North Carolina actually exceeds the 40%. I think where Notre Dame is going to win the game on defense is winning the turnover battle. I think that's kind of their best shot. All right.
2: We got lots of disagreement this week. A lot, a lot of a uh, place your bets drama. I, I, I'm, I'm saying uh, no in part because I'm not sure that North Carolina's offense will be consistent enough because of its – Uh, inability to protect Sam Howell I think Notre Dame's pass rush will affect him both in early downs and on third down Um, and so making third downs harder to achieve by giving him third and long um, and then and then shutting him down on on, on, in obvious paths and situations on third down so I think uh, that Notre Dame will will keep Notre Dame or will keep North Carolina below 40 percent of its third downs. North Carolina is converting nearly 49 percent of its third downs, which is pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, and Notre Dame's allowing 34 point or 34 percentage um, in terms of completions uh, or conversions on third down. So I think uh, it will land somewhere in the middle there, but it'll be south of 40%.
0: That's why Fosky is such a key player in this thing, because him on third down against an offensive line that actually is worse at giving up sacks and Notre Dames right. is going to be a really interesting matchup. Definitely. Uh, Next one over under three and a half sacks for Notre Dame's defense. Speaking of the pass rush. You know, I read that wrong. I thought you had North Carolina's defense. So that was going to be an under (laughs) for Notre Dame's defense. I'm going to go over. Uh, I think that the combination of Foskey being able to blitz and some other, and just North Carolina getting the third down a lot, I think, um, I think Notre Dame will be above that. I'll say they'll have five.
2: Yeah, I'm going over as well. We found agreement on this one. Like you mentioned, North Carolina is actually worse than Notre Dame in terms of allowing sacks. They allow 3.8 sacks per game, um, and, and Notre Dame's a little bit below that. Notre Dame is averaging defensively 2.71 sacks. Um, so I think they will be able to get to four sacks against North Carolina, in part because the pass rushes are so good. North Carolina's pass protection is so poor and i also think north carolina is going to have a lot of plays um i'm not sure what notre dame's ball control will look like especially if they like to continue to run the up-tempo offense that sort of is one of the negatives to to ball control um because that's they, they, they're
0: sort of struggling i think it looks that. like buckner being in the game to be yeah.
2: honest yeah no that's that that would be a good way to to sort of even that out so um but I, I will predict over three and a half sacks from Notre Dame. And then lastly, what is your final score prediction for Notre Dame, North Carolina?
0: I wasn't sure I could, if I could count that high. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go Notre Dame 37, North Carolina 33. Okay.
2: Interesting number of combinations there. I, I would be fascinated to see how both teams get to those numbers, but I, I uh, I'm in so, somewhere in the same neighborhood. I, I picked Notre Dame 34, North Carolina 28. I think, Both teams will be able to score. Um, I think it'll be an entertaining game. Um, I don't know that Notre Dame's going to get to necessarily a comfortable position like maybe it did against USC. Um, And uh, I'm fascinated to see how Notre Dame's defense handles North Carolina's offense without Kyle Hamilton, once again, like it did in the second half against North Carolina last season. All right, now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys, are we
1: done with USC? Everybody's You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go.
2: You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI and Eric's at EHansonNDI. First one I have for us, Eric, is from Scarrick at E. Shiler. In honor of the Southern Cal Smackdown last weekend, and for those of us that don't remember, would you remind us of the context around Brian
0: Kel- the Brian Kelly sound who uses the lead-in to the Q&A segment of the show? Okay, so what happened here was we're – we were at the end of the 2016 season. And so USC was the last game in that four and eight season. So Notre Dame's four and seven. Brian Kelly's getting a lot of guff all season. There's people on our beat calling for his firing and certainly a lot of fans. Um, and so he comes out for the USC press conference. And just before he comes out, the news comes out that, the NCAA is going to ask Notre Dame to vacate victories and one loss, the Alabama loss. Uh, So uh, Brian Kelly gets this information shortly before he comes down to, to do the press conference really doesn't get a lot of guidance from the media relations people there on how to handle this. And then Swarbrick is not available, which, I'm sure they could have piped him in. I don't think he was in town, but um, the athletic director, Notre Dame's athletic director, I'm sure you could have got him piped in to deal with this. So Brian Kelly gets up there and he has to kind of do this on the fly. You know, we're reading the press release as we're waiting to ask him questions. <laughs> yeah. Cause we, we just got the news. So um, he gets up there and I think Brian wanted to, give the appearance that the USC game was still the most important thing here. Let's talk. He said, let's talk about USC first, and then we'll do the NCAA stuff. And you know how media is, they don't want the coach telling them how to ask their questions. So of course the NCAA questions came out and Brian was not happy that people did not have a lot of USC questions. (laughs) Yeah. I think, uh, I'm not sure I don't I didn't go back to look or
2: listen but there weren't many U.S. with the allotted time for the USC questions didn't last very long so he's kind of looking around waiting for someone to ask some questions and we're like no nope, we're, we're good with USC let's get to the let's get to the NCA stuff and so I always thought kind of funny just sort of how exasperated he sounded uh, like all right okay here we go <laughs> so um, I, it was a definitely an unfortunate situation that he was put in um, and uh, I, I, so that was a uh, what, um, what we decided to use for our question segment. Um, sometimes you guys make us feel like uh, Brian Kelly did in that moment with the, with the way the questions are asked. But we do our best to give our, give our best answers. All right. Next question we have is from Joe Esquire at Sad Irish Fan 13. How much stuff do you guys think Bo Bauer had to hear because he got tackled by the quarterback?
0: Um, you know, I was as I was watching it, I kind of made a comment in my mind. Um, and, and if you need video evidence, there is in Notre Dame's icon video there, you can see his teammates getting on him pretty quickly about the quarterback catching him. So I think there was, I think he's probably still hearing about it, but it was a heck of an interception keyed on Slovis. I didn't think he had those kind of wheels and he saved four points.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That was a nice play by the quarterback. I, uh, Drew White, I think, was the specific person that they they captured giving him a hard time after the interception. And um, it's only natural given that Drew White is now a uh, – has an interception return for a touchdown on, it, on his resume against uh, Wisconsin, and Jack Kaiser did the same. So there's a lot of pressure on those linebackers. It's funny because the week before, Bo Bauer intercepted a two-point conversion and attempted to return it. And, and, like, in the middle of the return, I'm like, this isn't happening. He's not going all the way. And then, sure enough, against USC, he – he was very close to to being able to pull that off. Just was tracked down like Keaton Slovis. Myron Tagovailoa-Mosa did a good job of sort of cutting off um, one of the tight ends' path that was trying to track him down early on in the return. But Bo just couldn't quite outrun uh, um, the quarterback there. So he, I even asked him post game if he if people were giving him a hard time, and he said, "Yeah." So uh, he didn't he didn't quantify how, how many people were giving a hard time, but I imagine. Um, that one will stick with him a little bit. And uh, he's hoping to be able to get a chance to to maybe beat the quarterback to the end zone uh, with the, with the next interception. Next question is from at Brett Kovach. With, no, with Kyle Hamilton injured, will Kari G get any playing time this week?
0: I wouldn't think so um, for a few reasons. And, and first of all, he hasn't played on special teams or on defense this new year. Now, you could say, well, Logan Diggs got in the game right against virginia tech and he hadn't played but there doesn't it doesn't seem like he's in that that pecking order i think kari is a developmental player that'll you know have a chance to really show up next spring and and push himself up the depth chart at that point so i don't think he's looked upon that i asked brian kelly um going into the USC game, who during the bye week of those developmental players, I specifically asked about um, certain positions, including defensive backs. I think Philip Riley was the only defensive back he mentioned of the young guys. So I don't think Kari G is on the radar for this game.
2: Yeah, I'm in agreement there. I, I don't know that I would rule anything out. Um, my guess would be Justin Walters before Kari G. Um, I think... The, the need in terms of depth is at free safety rather than strong safety. Well, I, they need depth both places, but I think the answer at strong safety is Isaiah Pryor. Um, They're going to move him back there to be behind Houston Griffith. Um, whereas at free safety, I don't really know. I even asked Brian Kelly if, if they had a guy for sure they knew would be DJ Brown's backup. He's like, I think we're going to need the week to figure that out. So um, I, we'll see if that's Justin Walters. KJ Wallace has not really been in a part of the defensive game plan in any consistent way. He's, He's the person listed on the depth chart, which doesn't mean necessarily a lot as um, the guy behind Houston Griffith. But then obviously we saw Isaiah prior moving back last week. So we'll see what sort of changes happens there. I think Notre Dame's needs to come up with a plan one to at least at the very least give some maybe safeties or maybe they find other positions that can help um, some special teams work to take some of that load off of Houston Griffith and DJ Brown, if they're going to need them so much on defense. Um, so I, uh, I think that's probably the biggest thing on our Rams to-do list this week. Next question is from Baba Ganoush at PLACT underscore ITFDB. Did Vegas know that Kyle Hamilton would be out before it was public? If not, why do you think the spread is only minus three and a half? Considering the home team gets a plus three edge or a minus three edge, um, it makes this game
0: practically a toss-up if the line remains. You know, Vegas usually knows things. Um, yeah. They're they're not waiting for our stories, even though our stories are wonderful. They're they've got (laughs) connections and so forth. So I would assume that they knew. Um, And so, do I have to answer the second part of the question if that was the answer to the first part? uh, No. Yeah. I mean. I mean. Yeah. I mean. mean, mean, Why is the line at three and a half? I think Notre Dame still hasn't asserted itself as a dominant team yet. You know, they showed signs of, okay, this is what Notre Dame can be, but they have to become that, you know, that here's the blueprint. They finally have a blueprint that they think that can grow this team into a really good team in November and North Carolina. You gotta remember they were over 600 yards in total offense a couple of times. And you can look at their offensive statistical profile and it profiles as a team, that would be a top 10 team. Uh, They don't profile that with their offensive line, their turnovers, and their their defense. But from an offensive standpoint, if you can play a clean turnover-free game or win the turnover battle, you're going to be in it with Notre Dame and just about everybody else. I mean, this is a team that absolutely drilled Virginia and then got clobbered by Georgia tech. <laughs> so they are really a mystery team. Yeah. I imagine like
2: handicapping North Carolina games this season has been incredibly difficult. Um, and Notre Dame, most of their games are closed. So I think that, that skews some of that. I, I imagine I'm, I'm not sure what sort of information Vegas had. I think it's probably a safe assumption knowing, how good of a player Kyle Hamilton is, what his draft stock is—that he wasn't going to be rushed back into the lineup coming off an injury against USC. Um, so maybe that played a part in the line. Um, North Carolina certainly, in their losses, they lost all of their games by more than more than three and a half. So um, I, I don't really know. I I don't. Uh, obviously, we make score predictions, but I try to not take into account Vegas's line and just figure out what I feel like is going to happen. But I, I I'm curious to see if they know more than us, if it's going to be a, a closer game than I think um, we have projected. Um, but I think uh, um, these, I, I, both of these teams are, are pretty hard to, to sort of forecast what's going to happen with Justin at the real Putnam asks, How does Marcus Freeman's defense compare to Bob Diaco Mike Elko and Clark Lee in their first seasons with production and talent?
0: Um it, it's hard for me to compare the talent. So let me just maybe more compare how the defenses were and maybe the advantage that Clark Lee had his first year. Um I I looked at I look at nine different categories. Instead of running all the numbers, I'll I'll just kind of generalize here. I, lo- I look at run defense, pass efficiency defense, total defense, scoring defense, sacks, tackles for loss, third down defense, red zone defense, and turnovers gained. Marcus's defense is the best in four categories, and the four you would probably guess run uh, of, the, of the, and I threw Van Gorder in there too. Um, run defense, sacks, third down defense, and turnovers gained. And they're by far the best in turnovers game. They're fifth in the country. Right. So, and those all kind of relate to one another. You're good at run defense. You're going to get people in third and long. And you're going to be good on third down. Your sacks are going to be good. And your turnovers are going to be good. Um, I'd say across the board, Lee had the best. Now, I think one of those advantages was the fact that they kept the same system going from Elko right. to um, Clark Lee. Um, the worst numbers as you can expect were Brian Van Gorder's. There wasn't a whole lot there to take away. I'd say surprisingly good in some areas with Diaco's first defense. Um, uh, and that was a different scheme because they went from a 43 to a 34. Uh, they, they dropped down into four, three sometimes, but they were a base 34. So that was a, that was a, um, definitely a, uh, Schematic change that was took some getting used to.
2: Yeah, this I, I was sort of intimidated by this question. It felt like a question that could be an entire podcast if we wanted to sit down and, and compare the. the I, I I didn't take into account Van Gorder's defense since that wasn't part of the question. But if you're comparing the those four first defenses for each Notre Dame defensive coordinator, um, in so many disp- different aspects, I, I the flip side of where Notre Dame has. Under Marcus Freeman is struggling in its first year compared to those three coaches, Diaco, Elko, and Lee. Um, Generally, this current defense is worse in terms of points allowed, Um, 52nd in the country when none of the other three finished below 31st. Um, And then sort of connected to that is um, red zone defense, which Notre Dame is pretty average at this year, which currently ranks 64th as opposed to none of the other finishing worse than 35th. Um, so, um, Eric sort of highlighted the, the positives of this defense compared to the others. So I figured I'd balance those out where some of the deficiencies are talent wise. Yeah. I mean, it's hard, I, hard to sort of, obviously with, with Elko and Lee, the talent is pretty similar because there's just one year separating those teams. Um, there was some good talent on those teams. Um, 2010, I wasn't covering the team, so I, I'm aware of those players, but I don't know, um, exactly like what they looked like at that stage in their careers, the 2020 team, sort of comparing them to those, it's probably worse than – worse at cornerback and linebacker than those teams. Um, I, I think just obviously the 2017-18 teams had Julian Love um, and Troy pride on those teams and um, the, the linebacker groups that you're talking about, Tavon Coney and Drew Tranquil, um, and then before that you're talking about Manti Teo. Uh, though that 20 team, a lot, a lot of the guys on the 2010 team were younger guys that maybe peaked later in their careers – um whereas uh which could be the case for notre dame's corners and linebackers as well um we talk about like jd bertrand and cam hart um those guys i think are tr- on a good trajectory but not we don't necessarily know where they're where they i end up at so um it was an interesting question and one we could probably talk about for a long time uh next question is from marie Biafore under at Biafore 4 underscore marie it seems notre dame can never really put teams away like the top teams do do you think this is the This is because Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese get too conservative too early in the game. Up 24-3, to why not keep pushing for one or two more scores? Instead, they get less aggressive. Before you know it, it's 24-16.
0: Murray, I'm going to disagree with you as far as putting this on Reese and Kelly. I think USC deserves some credit in adjusting their offense. Notre Dame was in nickel a ton because they were concerned about Drake, London, and not letting him get behind them. And it opened up some rushing lanes for USC. And and USC, even though they were not ranked highly in rush offense for the season, it was not so much their average as much as they just didn't do it very much. And they didn't do it very much in the first half. But I'm telling you, Keontae Ingram, who was a transfer from Texas, and Darwin Barlow, who was a transfer from USC or from TCU – are really good running backs, and they pushed Notre Dame around. So it gets to 24-3, to and USC ran a lot of that uh, next ensuing um, possession to make it 24-10. Then Notre Dame is driving, and Cone throws the interception. So that wasn't really – they weren't trying to be conservative there. And then um, USC responds with the big pass to – Drake London on first down where he got behind the defense for once. And then they ran it in from there. They kind of chipped it in. So then it's 24-16. And then Notre Dame answers with a score. You know, the seven play or eight play drive for 75 yards, seven of them were runs, helped kill the clock, and they're up 31-16. And honestly, they could have piled on at the end after the strip sack by um, – Isaiah Foskey it could have been 38 to 16 now maybe in there there were other games they did this I did not think that the play calling was a problem in this game this particular game
2: right yeah I don't know if um Marie was using this just as an example and we're like being we're we're applying it too much to this one specific game but yeah I'm in agreement I didn't really see get a sense that this that was an issue in this game um and you sort of walk through the reasons why it, it, they had three drives after they were up 24, three, one was an interception, one, they scored a touchdown on and one they might've scored a touchdown on at the very end, but they decided to, to run out the clock with some kneels after Josh Slug jumped off sides. Um, so I think it's always important when we're talking about, and it's difficult when you're talking about play calling to be like um, dependent on the the outcome because obviously, it's 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 easy to sort of second guess play calling once you know if it didn't work or not. You have to sort of be in that. You just gotta have to rethink of in the moment. Okay, what were they doing? What was the goal? Um, and, and sort of judge it from there. And I mean, to start the start of the question, um, Notre Dame can't put teams away like the top teams do. I don't think Notre Dame is a top team right now. I don't know that they're in that conversation. So I I don't know that. Um, I would compare this Notre Dame offense to Ohio State, Alabama, or Oklahoma, or something like that this season. Um, so that comparison isn't going to be very favorable to Notre Dame right now. There may have been some play-calling issues earlier in the game. I think certainly following the Bo Bauer interception, I don't think that was a great series for Tommy Reese, but I didn't walk away from the USC game thinking that play-calling was a, was a major issue. There were, there were many more positives in my mind than negatives. Next question is from at Coach Echi. I heard a few broadcasters say that the Cincy win at Notre Dame is a huge win for them, but I don't understand why now after that loss, it's tough for Notre Dame to crack the top 10. What, now are we not worthy or not a strong foe anymore? That's BS. We should be number eight. And since you are a poll voter, Eric, I demand answers. That that last line was for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I had um, I had Cincinnati two and Notre Dame nine this week. Um. I believe that was what my vote was. I, I, I got to go back and look. Um, I, th- I thought I thought had had them at nine. Let's see. I got, they, they, they have a glitch in their thing where they leave one vote out. They leave in my poll. They leave the number 17. Yeah. I had Notre Dame nine. So um, when people ask that question, I, I really would prefer they say who they think should be behind Notre Dame, who they would swap out. Right. Um, and, the, and the problem is, you. and I say this all the time, you can't cherry pick your arguments. You can't say, well, they have the best loss. Well, they actually don't. Kentucky has a better loss. They lost to Georgia, and they were pretty competitive in that game. Right. Um, and so Kentucky, with one loss, could argue that you know they should be higher too. I look at the whole resume. I'll give you. I'll give you an example um, of a team that I have. Uh, two teams that I have Notre Dame ahead of that they aren't ahead of in the poll that I would buy your argument on, and that's Michigan State and Iowa. Michigan State um, has played seven teams, all with losing records, and they haven't put a lot of those teams away. Their win against Indiana was the closest. You know, you look at Ohio State just obliterated them. Iowa obliterated them. Um, and and Michigan State really sweated out the win. And, and so Michigan State will have a chance, though, to play Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan this weekend. And so we'll, we'll see if they're a team that's growing. There's some things in their statistical profile I really like. But you have to look at the whole resume. 19 and 30 are the um, – the cumulative record of Michigan State, Notre Dame's cumulative record of opponents is 28-22. And where I I give Notre Dame the nod over Iowa, although I think it's really close, and the Wisconsin game this Saturday will give us more information. Is you know, Notre Dame beat Purdue, and and Purdue beat Iowa pretty handily. And Iowa and Notre Dame have very similar statistical profiles. Their defense and their ability to turn people over really carry them. And if they Can't perform that formula, they get themselves in a in a tough place. Um, Iowa has a nice win over Iowa State. Their win over Penn State didn't look quite as good after Penn State lost to Illinois in nine overtimes. So to me, again, I I don't get overly impatient about where teams are ranked until we get into November, where. Really matters, and we have a lot more information. Oregon and Michigan are two teams that I really don't have a sense that they're markedly better than Ole Miss and Iowa. Right, but right. Um, we're going to get we're going to get an idea coming up very shortly where those teams stand. So it, it plays themselves out. The team that I have higher than Notre Dame and higher than a lot of people is Ole Miss. I like them for some reason. I bought into their formula now again they have some tough games coming up so we'll see if they can stand up and be that number seven team on my my poll
2: yeah you obviously spend a lot more time thinking about this than I do I don't I don't really have a problem with Notre Dame
0: being outside the top 10 spend a lot of time on this yeah I know you do well that's why when people just throw out the cherry pick or they just you know they're mad because you're not ranking their alma mater where you think they should you know I'm not going to Put up with the fanboy stuff, you know. Give me a, a legitimate argument, and there are legitimate arguments. I'm not saying that I'm right, sure, but give me something that isn't a cherry-picked argument or that it's your alma mater. Say, here's why I think this team is better than this team, and I, and I'll buy it. I have Ohio State behind Michigan right now, although I think Ohio State would beat them. Right, you have to still go by the resume, and they'll have a chance to kind of. Play that out later this season
2: yeah i mean the difference between notre dame being ranked at 8 and 11 i mean at at october in october i don't think it's something to be that concerned about it's it's a pretty small difference there notre dame hasn't beaten a team of real substance all season and has barely won three of its games so i think uh there's reasons to question whether or not notre dame is a top 10 team so i think we'll, we'll certainly learn more about which teams are out there and um i think uh it's we're set up for a, a very fascinating November in college football. So no complaints for me there. Next question is from Burt Leonard at Burt two, eight, three, four. Is there a bowl where a 12 and zero Cincy and 11 and one Notre Dame could have a rematch? That isn't the playoffs.
0: That isn't the playoffs. Obviously they could meet in the playoff um, in the orange bowl, or the cotton bowl, but yeah, there are two. There's the peach and the fiesta bowl. Both of those, uh, games are double at-large uh, slots, and and Cincinnati and Notre Dame could each get invited to to those games. I don't see that the college football playoff committee would want to do that. They right. like to avoid that, um, and and especially in a in a situation where they have the double at-large spots, there's not a really compelling reason to match those two teams up again.
2: Right, yeah. By technicality, yes, it is. It is possible. By in reality, it's it's very unlikely. It would be my opinion. Uh, next question is from Douglas McCannily at d underscore over Brian Kelly's tenure. You have experienced three different atmospheres at Notre Dame Stadium: no music, Crazy Train, and now a light show. How does last Saturday's light show compare to other stadiums you have co- covered Notre Dame at?
0: Mm-hmm. I have to say something about Crazy Train, Tyler. Were you in the old press box the first time they rolled Crazy Train out and played it like eighty-seven times? Yeah, I think that was that was twenty eleven USC, right? I think that's what it was. Yeah, and and I th- I remember seeing Jake Brown's face because I think Jake <laughs> almost threw up uh, <laughs> at one point. But it, they were playing it on first down, third down, <laughs> fourth down. When people were in the bathroom, I mean, it was. Um, it was it was crazy. Uh, obviously, I think the light show thing was really cool um, and and definitely the best. I don't know if that you know how that would work in the daytime, right. Uh, <laughs> so um, I, I'm curious to see how that would work, but yeah, I I think Notre Dame is trying to make things special and I, I for the fans and for recruits. And, you know, the players were getting it into it. Kyron Williams was going nuts on yeah. the sidelines. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the more fun you can have and have something special going in the fourth quarter, I think the William Tell Overture, you know, you can keep that tradition. But, you know, I mean, you know, how many people have a song that's a few hundred years old that's <laughs> there? You know, you want to modernize things a little bit. I I never really thought that that was really a um, something that got the crowd pumped up. Even though everybody moved their arms the way that you know they're supposed to during it, I you know I like to see things more modernized.
2: Yeah, I, it personally, I think it's the coolest thing that I've experienced at Notre Dame Stadium that wasn't part of the actual game. Uh, I think Notre Dame's making a real effort to create a hostile environment um, and one that fans want to be a part of as well. I think the days of selling tickets to people who want to sit in the same seat that their pappy sat in are, are kind of gone. You need to give people a reason to, to get into Notre Dame Stadium, a reason why the product in the stadium is better than the one that you can get from watching it on TV. Um, the people watching it, the game at home this past Saturday I didn't get to experience that in the same way that, that I did in the, in the stadium. So um, comparing it to some of the other stadiums that we visited, um, I would still say – Georgia, Clemson, Oklahoma, and even Virginia Tech were probably still better than that. They're, I think, more established. And uh, Georgia did cr- some creative stuff with the lighting and made the stadium red at one point. I think maybe some of the inspiration for Notre Dame's uh, stuff, at least between the third and fourth quarter, were, were influenced by what it experienced down at Georgia. Clemson, Clemson's video board stuff was really cool. I think they do a really good job with that stuff. Oklahoma was a pretty cool spectacle the day we went down there in 2012. Um, but this was sort of just the first run for of what this looked like at Notre Dame. So I'm, ex- I'm curious to see what it, um, morphs into if, if there's some traditions that become a part of this, if this is a regular thing, obviously the light thing specifically is difficult to do for early season games that aren't at night. Um, but even like these, the, the games against Georgia tech and Navy, you could still do those between the third and the fourth quarter because it will be dark out at that point. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes. And I think it was a, a good step in the wrong direction. I think people that didn't enjoy it are are probably the people that Notre Dame isn't necessarily worried about alienating because they're not necessarily helping impact Notre Dame's home field advantage in in, in any real way. So I I think, I think it was a job well done personally. Last question, somewhat related to, uh, to this Flanner gym rat at Flanner gym following decades of the ticket lottery, seemingly allowing wins for Notre Dame donors in the secondary market a lot alike. It would seem that the Rockney economy has crashed, despite a great on-field product with two hundred dollars face. USC tickets selling for fifty dollars. Have you heard any ideas on fixes?
0: Yes, I have heard ideas on fixes, and I've seen them. And I think one of the things is the marketing department getting more creative. Now, I don't think that's necessarily going to bring back the old market. You know, this the first year after the after the pandemic reduced crowds that you can have full crowds. And I know a lot of people that aren't comfortable being in big crowds yet. Um, and so I think that softens the market a little bit. Even before we got to the pandemic, we saw a softening of the market throughout college football, where the prices for parking and tickets were getting so high everywhere. Right. And the, TV experience was getting so good that people started saying, do I really want to spend all that money um, doing this? So, but a good example of it was a couple things. One, after Brian Kelly got his 106th win, they ran a promotion to get two tickets for $106 for, I think North Carolina was one of the games, but I think you could pick from a few games. And then this week there was a flash sale, which is still going on, I think through tomorrow, where you can get upper level tickets for North Carolina for $50. And I think that's that's what you got to do. I mean, that's that's where we are with college football right now, is you have to be more creative, you have to be flexible in your pricing, and you have to run specials. And that's just gonna be it. The days of people, you know, on waiting lists to get to Notre Dame games and, and other places is probably over. Uh, so we'll yeah. see, we'll see as we distance ourselves from the pandemic, but if we ever get to that point,
2: but <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's, it's funny cause people will still like, they're like shocked to hear that there's not a waiting list. And it's like, well, I wrote about that years ago that that no longer existed, but people are sort of slow to, to pick up on that. I'm not sure. The, the question I, I had a little bit trouble following from Flanner Jim, I'm not sure Notre Dame should care if the folks that are purchasing tickets through the lottery or their season tickets even are losing money on resale value. I, I think – I mean, to me, like, the fact that those fans are doing that to sort of justify the reasons they're getting tickets is part of the issue that Notre Dame has to maybe figure out how to handle. Um, I, I think the pricing decision was maybe a little bit flawed and um, certainly – the pandemic is playing a big role not just at Notre Dame, but all across the country, like you mentioned. And um, I don't know what's going to change. I think there's a lot of probably ideas out there. Um, and I'm sure Notre Dame is going to consider them. I think it's, it's hard to know from our point of view, what makes the most sense in terms of adjustments ju- without knowing the actual data, which we're not going to have access to. Um, but yeah, like you said, the days of Notre Dame selling out the stadium, um, every game are, are gone and and that's not, that's not solely a Notre Dame issue that's that's a universal issue and I'm I'm curious to see what Notre Dame does to uh course correct but I, I think it, N- Notre Dame fans have this weird like sense or sense about this like they're offended when when Notre Dame s- puts tickets on sale it's like I, I I don't I don't know like I I don't get that like I don't understand like why you think Notre Dame football is like cheapening itself or I don't know. They want fans in the stadium. So they're going to do what they can to get them in there. Now, maybe they need to do a better job on the front end of getting them to a sellout than having to come up with things at the, at the back end.
0: But um, we're still in a unique situation here because of the pandemic. So uh, it's not like it was the Kansas Oklahoma game where Kansas said, our gates are open, We're <laughs> right? Coming free, <laughs> right, 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 and they still can't—they can't get the stadium
2: to capacity doing that. Um, that's it for today's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, shoot us some stars and leave a review. We'll be back next week with a North Carolina review and a Navy preview. Until then, stick with NDInsider.com for your Notre Dame football pregame and postgame coverage needs.